This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. childhood, each of us has been trained in the art of wearing a mask, often passed off as a self-preservation technique to prevent people from seeing what's really going on inside. We've learned how to shield others from discovering our insecurities, our fears, and our past pain. However, what is hidden in the dark will eventually come to light. Emotions like shame, anger, fear, and abandonment that often lie beneath the mask, have the power to keep us in emotional and spiritual bondage. We must seek God to heal the broken pieces of our hearts. If you find yourself constantly living in the past, or you feel like you can never let people close enough to you to learn who you really are, this episode is for you, says Jocelyn Jones. Valeria Tellis interviews Jocelyn about her book, Breaking the Power of the Mask. Discover healing, freedom, and joy on your journey with God. Jocelyn's work promises to challenge you to uncover the pain you have hidden behind a mask so you can begin the healing process, shift your belief that the past can determine your future, draw you closer to God by removing barriers that prevent intimacy, and help you to identify ways in which God can use your past experiences to help others. Jocelyn Jones is a native of Hazelcrest, Illinois. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Iowa in journalism. After receiving her BA, Jocelyn worked for Channel 20 WYCC. She left her position there to work at the Ark of St. Sabina, where she served for 11 years, nine of which were in the role of executive director. While working at the ARC, Jocelyn earned her master's degree from the University of Chicago in social work in 2012. Jocelyn is a devout Christian and the founder of Faith on the Journey and Journey Consulting. Here is the interview with Jocelyn Jones. In your own words, who is Jocelyn Jones? Ooh, Jocelyn is a complicated person. (laughs) Uh, So I I will say I am a woman who is growing in her relationship with God every day. A woman who has struggled with the spirit of perfectionism for many years, who has worked really hard to move past that. 
Uh, but I've been re redefining myself in my life over the last several years, understanding that life is a process, it's a journey. And so I'm a woman who is now learning to embrace herself wholly, even her flaws, and understanding that God has a greater purpose for me. And in my imperfections, I can still do a great work to help other people. So that's who Jocelyn Jones is. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about faith on the journey, ministry, and some of the topics in your book, Breaking the Power of the Mask. Mm -hmm. So my first warm-up question is, what is life, Jocelyn? Ooh, again, I go back to my favorite word now, which is life is a journey. <laughs> life is a mixture of experiences, uh, good, bad, and all in between. Life is what you make it. It is relationships, relationships on a horizontal level, if you speak of um, relationships with humans, um, but it's also a relationship with a higher being and understanding how we're all interconnected in some type of way. So what I do has an effect on another. So life is how we view things. Life is full of different obstacles, but in that you can look at it as a positive or you can look at it as a negative. So it goes back to perspective. If you're someone who sees it half full or half empty when it comes to the glass, right? And so I believe life is honestly what you make it and your perspective. What do you think is the opposite of life? Oh, these are deep questions here. Good ones. <laughs> Uh, what is the opposite of life? I guess one would think it would be death as an automatic response. However, I feel like it's, it's something different than that. I think the opposite of life, and maybe I would say the opposite of living, is stagnation, complacency, not making meaning of, of this time here. I think that many people might take life for granted and also might feel stuck or uh, don't feel like their life has meaning. And so in that, they don't live it to the fullest. So I, I would say for me, it would be stagnation and uh, complacency is how I would answer that question. Yeah, I like that very much, Jocelyn. Yeah, this idea of not being open or not growing. There is this feeling of death, right? Right. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom. Freedom is in the mind, I believe, because there's been a lot of people who have been locked up in like prison. We have great leaders, historic leaders like Nelson Mandela and his story who that spent many years, but he was free in his mind. And I think there are unfortunately a lot of people who are free, but are locked up inside. And so I think freedom is the ability to know that your voice counts. You can make a difference. You're not controlled by the, the external factors or forces that try to influence you and um, you're able to be bold in, in what you believe is true. I think that's freedom. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need and what is your vision for a new world? World's greatest need, I would say compassion because especially I'm from the United States, so I do believe that that's something that sometimes is missing where we we're very individualistic 
and we don't understand, again, how I'm connected to you as my sister and how my actions affect your your actions or your, your well-being. And I think we also can be very uh, judgmental and transactional. And we, we need to show compassion towards each other in our in, in this work that we do and understand that we're connected. You had a second question and I, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, what is your vision for a new world? A vision for a new world? Well, I feel like we're getting a reset right now, unfortunately, with the coronavirus. I definitely would not have wished this on us in a million years. However, in moments like this, this causes us to look at ourselves and look at what we really value and what really matters and how we're all on one playing field right now, battling battling this pandemic. And we've seen some ugly come out of this, but in the end, I hope that people look at this and seeing that we again we're connected and we we need to start treating other countries, you know, with respect, understanding that like pointing fingers will not help the situation. Um, but we we need to collectively work because when one country is is struggling, it can it affects the United States and vice versa. So I just really hope that um, after this pandemic, people understand how connected we are and um, how we we need each other. And uh, in an ideal utopia world, I would say we wouldn't be so driven by capitalism and greed, <laughs> but we would be at a place where we um, keep the livelihood of people as the first priority versus chasing money in, in, in lieu of life. Oh, I love your wisdom. Thank you. And this is just the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> Thank you. So you spoke of compassion. Do you connect compassion to love? I do believe it's a, a, a component of love. Yes. So because, you know, when you have compassion or even, a, I guess I would say a, a better word would be empathy and you're able to relate to someone, then you don't look at them like other. I think we have a big problem of looking at people like other. And when you make someone an other, there's it's easy to cast stigma upon someone else. It's easy to dis- disassociate their pain from yours. And it's easy to turn a blind eye to it. I think, again, going back to what I was saying earlier with the coronavirus, it's something that's happening on a global scale. So if this was just happening in one uh, remote part of the world, most people would be like, oh, that's sad and keep it moving, drinking their, their morning coffee. But now, because it's, it's affecting everyone, when you hear different stories, people can say, I understand because we're dealing with this at home. And I really wish it didn't take all that. But again, if we begin to start looking at people like these, you are, we're, we're siblings in, in a sense in this global world, then and stop othering people, for the lack of a better word, um, then it's easy to have compassion because that's another human being, bottom line. And they have they have feelings, they have dreams, they have hope. And when we do things as a society to take away from one so another group can benefit, that's not showing compassion. And so that's something I'm hoping that we can move towards is being a more compassionate society towards people. Yes. And speaking of compassion, love, empathy, um, that, that all this leads to my next question. 
What, where, and who is God to you? What, where, and who? So God is spirit. God, I know this might be controversial, but I don't believe as a gender is is a spirit. So it could be, you know, if one pray to Mother God or Father God. Um, but God, God has been here since the beginning, before the beginning, and is still here with us. God is a God who is all knowing and is a God who yet is loves us enough, even in our mess, to still call us fit to be used for his purpose. And I say his out of just what I'm used to referring to God, but God is bigger than anything we can ever imagine. And it's very hard to describe because our our brains are limited to our vocabulary when there's not really a word that can describe who God is. But I believe that there's nothing that God cannot do. And even in the midst of our suffering, God is still present. What do you think, this is my last warm-up question, what do you think is the purpose of life? To live out your full potential, and by that, using all your gifts that God has given you to advance the kingdom agenda, which is to help save lives, um, bring bring people into relationship with God, um, and help others to 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 fully embrace their journey. Uh, so I think we live life to be in communion with others and to to point them to the way of, of Christ. So let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration and intention for writing your book, Breaking the Power of the Mask? Yes. So this is something where I mentioned earlier that I definitely struggle with perfectionism. And I know that some of your listeners might understand <laughs> or oh, struggle yeah. with that too, because we're in a society that can be very judgmental. And we're also in a society that can be very superficial. And, you know, you feel this pressure to present your best self to the world. And we get accolades off our achievements. And you start to believe that your achievements, what you do and what people say about you is what defines you. And when you find yourself falling short or messing up, uh, then you feel like your value all of a sudden decreases. And this is all related to my book because I believe that this has constructed a world where everyone feels like they have to wear a mask and cannot be their authentic selves. They have to, even in the church, you know, I say the, the, the Christianese saying, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And mm-hmm. you're over here lying when we know we stressed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, we we are afraid to just, you know, say, look, I'm struggling here. This is rough. I can't pay my mortgage or I'm, I'm dealing with depression, all this, you know, all these different issues. We're afraid to let people know how we how we really are. And the problem with that is we've become so accustomed to wearing a mask that we don't allow people to really see us in our authentic self, self, but even deeper than that, we learned how to mask our pain. And in masking our pain, we end up not dealing with it. And that pain is still there. So the concept of breaking the power of the mask is saying, hey, y'all, we, we really need to find safe spaces to deal with our junk. <laughs> and I call it junk, our baggage, our pain, the things that have caused us to get stuck, whether it's um, abuse that we might have experienced, whether it's uh, bad relationships, whether it was a loss of a business, whether it was 
was anything where you, you have unforgiveness in your heart. Those things cause us to feel stuck and we can mask it. We can act like we're okay. We can numb the pain, you know, in different ways, whether it's trying to shop it away or, you know, overcompensating in the workplace or finding something that we can numb the pain with, like, you know, drinking or substance abuse, or we can try to uh, take power and control and, and try to, you know, act like everything is okay and overcompensate in however way, but there's different ways people mask their pain. But at the end of the day, they still feel numb. They still feel empty inside and they still have a void. And that's not how God called us to live. That is not. God wants to heal the broken pieces in our life. God is Jehovah Rapha. God can heal the broken places in our hearts. And that's that's really what the book is about. It's about getting to the heart wounds that we experience. I dive deep into the issue of shame that many of us struggle with uh, due to a belief that we're not good enough. And that could be caused by a number of different things. Um, I talk about unforgiveness. I talk a lot about grief. And um, all these things to kind of walk people through the process of actually dealing with some things that they've buried so then they can give it to God and God can heal those areas. I really want people to experience healing. And so that's what the book was about. Wow. What is your personal experience with emotional healing, Jocelyn? So still, still under construction. <laughs> okay. But I will say that I've made some poor decisions when it comes to relationships. You know how you feel like you just want to go back and slap your 20-year-old self. Oh, yeah. I definitely, because oh, yes. it's like, girl, what you doing? But I realized that I had settled for some, some less than admirable relationships <laughs> because I just was so desperately in need need to be with someone. I was not happy being single. And I think part of that is because uh, this particular woman right here grew up watching all the Disney classics and was like, oh, yes, Prince Charming, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And yeah, it's it's great. But we don't realize that it's also embedding a, a belief that we need to be in relationship. And the fact that I was 22 thinking like, what's wrong with me? I'm not in a relationship. I need to get married. You 22, you don't know nothing. But I felt that need. And so I um, found myself in very unhealthy relationships that completely crushed my spirits and had to fight for a while to, to, to get out of that. And then there's the recovery, right? So even if you're out of the relationship, you still have the residue and you can still find yourself locked up in bondage. And so for me, it's been an ongoing journey uh, there's been moments where I'm like, why am I still thinking about this? Or what, you know, I should be over this by now. But at the end of the day, I've also learned, Valerie, that this is a process. You know, people like to think that healing from a, a very significant heart wound happens overnight. And it oftentimes doesn't. Oftentimes there's layers to it. And you might find yourself crying a year or two later over something that you thought was in your past. And yes, it is in your past and you're definitely further along in your healing process than you were a year or so ago. However, I think we need to be kind to ourselves and understanding that if there's still something there, it's okay to express it and it's okay to reach out for help. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means that you're human and you're just, you're in process. Yes, I like that. Why do you think so many of us get stuck in pain and stay there? 
I think many of us get stuck because we just don't want to deal with it or we don't know how. So it's one of the two. I know that me personally, for example, when I get overwhelmed and stressed, one of the first things I want to do is like, you know what? I'm going to sleep. I'm checking out. Don't you want to deal with this, right? And, and I think the same thing happens when it comes to pain in our lives. When it's something that happens, um, sometimes like biologically, our body uses this as a defense mechanism, and we just our body just shuts it down, blocks it out of our mem- uh, memory, and so we're at a place where we can deal with it. So that's like the trauma aspect. But even if it's not trauma, it can be so painful that we are just not at a place where we want to deal with it. But here's the thing, doing that for some time makes sense in that moment. But at some point, we're going to have to revisit that pain so that we can properly heal. I'll never forget an example that this gentleman shared. I talked about him in my book. He talked about how he was a football player and he got injured at practice and his injury was pretty severe. He He hurt his leg. And the doctor told him, look, you have two choices. You can either choose to let to not touch your leg and just let it heal naturally. Um, but you'll forever have a limp if you go that route, if you just kind of ignore it and just let it try to heal on its own. Or you can allow me to reset your leg, which requires me to break your leg to put it back in place. But if you allow me to break it, then you'll be able to actually experience a full healing. And that's significant because many of us are walking around with spiritual, emotional limps Mm, because we've never actually gone back and allowed God to, to break those pieces down, to reset our lives so that we can be whole again. And it's, that's the, the thing that I want to point out, that this process of healing is painful sometimes. But in order to heal, you have to be willing to hurt. You have to be willing to cry. You have to be willing to do some of the deep work so that once you're done, it's, it's, no, longer, it's no longer there. It's no longer holding you captive. But if you continue to ignore it, you'll forever have those emotions come out. You'll, have, you'll forever have those things control you. And I, w- I was talking on a webinar last week about this because sometimes people don't even realize why they're acting the way they're acting, why they might be acting bitter or why they, they all of a sudden always just get angry over something that might seem insignificant to anybody else, but they're triggered by it. And I encourage people, if you, if you feel like there might be something in your life that's causing you to trigger or to causing you to just act out of character for no reason, there's probably something deeper there that's worth exploring. And it's probably a heart wound that has been unresolved that needs to be addressed. So, so that's, that's something I, I believe that people need to understand. I've, I've heard someone say this before, and I'll, I'll stop here, that when it comes to people's behavior, she, she was referring to children, it's, it's really not a child who has bad behavior, so to speak. Let's look at it as this child has an unmet need, and this child is acting that way because there's an unmet need. And so we try to find out what that need is for ourselves. When we're when we're acting a certain way, we're like uh, anxious, we're, whether we're um, dealing with uh, 
we're acting out of anger or whatever the case may be. There's something underneath that's worth exploring. There might be an unmet need or a unaddressed heart wound that we have to dig and address so we can heal and, and really be whole. Wow. I love your wisdom. I have to say that word again, because this is, um, it's coming from that place. And um, I was just thinking about fear too. A lot of when I was going through my issues and I didn't want to look deep enough, I was afraid of what I could find inside. So fear is one. And then, um, yeah, the courage to just open up and, um, and go deeper. For some reason, we are wired not to do that, not to change. And you say something very interesting. Uh, you made a point about time, the time does not heal traumas. Talk to me about that because that's, that's a misconception, I guess, most people have. Yes, we've all probably heard the saying, time heals all wounds. And it, it doesn't. It, it, that's not, an unaddressed wound can lead to infection. Mm. And there's a lot of people who go years without addressing trauma or painful events in their past. And we see what we see on the surface is an infection. And that can show up in ways of bitterness that can show up in someone um, taking very risky behavior. And, and we're looking at them like, what is what? Why don't they know better? But here's the thing for them, they could be stuck in a sense where trauma can cause someone to be stuck. They, they, from a cognitive standpoint, they can be still at the emotional level of a 15 year old making decisions because of something that was unaddressed. And it, the, the the beautiful part about this is that there there is hope for them. You know, they absolutely can get help. Um, and I, I do believe in the approach of a uh, mental health approach of getting people into counseling and therapy. But I also believe in a biblical approach. So we can talk a little bit more about that later. But there's hope for that person. However, that person does have to be at a place where they're willing to ask for help and acknowledge that there's something there. And sometimes they don't even see it for themselves. And that's why it needs to be people around that individual who might be struggling, who might be acting out, who's willing to love them enough to ask the questions, to say, I see you and I believe that you're more than what we're seeing on the surface. So let me journey with you and let me get you the support you need. Because honestly, when we see people acting at a place where it seems self-destructive, going back to what I was saying earlier, there's a, either an unmet need or a heart wound that we don't see. We see, so there's this there's this theory called the iceberg theory where you look at what we see at the very tip of the iceberg and these are the emotions that we see on the surface of an individual. But then there's all these emotions underneath that are really causing what we see on the surface. And this is when the digging takes place where we have to dig and see what's really going on. And that requires work. So to, to answer your question, Valerie, time doesn't heal all wounds. This person, whoever is struggling, does need to get the support that they need and be willing to do the work. And also, obviously, God in that equation can um, can definitely help to heal that person. But it has to be I've, I've always said that healing is a process where we cannot be passive. 
in this. This is something where we have to be active participants in our healing process. Yeah, I like and believe that. So let's talk about your approach, which is very interesting. Talk to me about the Faith on the Journey ministry. Right. So I started Faith on the Journey from my recent revelation that I don't have to have it all together and this life is a journey and I need to get over myself and also help others to understand that there's going to be moments in your life where it's not perfect. There's going to be moments in your life where it's, it's painful and messy. But at the end of the day, let's let's learn to embrace this journey. And so that's kind of where the concept be, began. But then it, began, it, it started to evolve. And I realized that I, I wanted to focus most of my attention on helping individuals to heal because I started off interviewing many people about their stories. I interview people about their stories of overcoming sexual childhood trauma or domestic violence. I interview people who were struggling with losing their businesses. I've interviewed people who've um, lost loved ones and lost their health and just all different stories. And I, I saw a common theme in their stories of so many people struggling with issues of shame, of forgiveness, grief. And at some point along the way, they felt emotionally stuck and they didn't know how to move forward. And so I said, there needs to be some work done here in the by the people of God to really help individuals to move forward, to get unstuck and to address their, their past trauma. And so that's when I said, okay, we're going to do work in this space. And we're we're obviously going to have a faith-based approach and we're going to have God included in, in this entire process. But I also believe it's important for the church to understand that there's a space for mental health and that, you know, working with a therapist, a, a clinician can, can really be instrumental in someone's process for healing. And so I challenge this theology of, I call it a separation between church and state, or other words, uh, a separation between mental health and faith. You know, people like to separate the two, but I think there's room for both at the table. And that's where faith on the journey, um, that's where our work begins. And so we we try to uh, marry the two approaches in the work, in the the lessons that we teach through our online courses, through our podcasts, and just the different tools that we develop so that we can address the issue of healing holistically and in understanding the cognitive things that are taking place so we can try to address the trauma from a biological standpoint, but also understanding that this is a spiritual thing that we need God for. And so that's that's our approach. Yes, I really like that. So when you say biblical principles, you call it spirituality or religion? Is that connected to religion or spirituality? Uh, I don't use the word religion. I think religion is connected to doctrine. Um, and I would consider myself non-denominational, I, I, but I am a Christian. So, so, that's, so my platform is, is Christian-based. And so I don't care what denomination you are from. I don't, I don't even care if you're a Christian. Uh, it, it's, it's a platform where we speak hope into your life. And we do want to let people know that God is there with you. But there's also other tools that we provide people where I've heard, I've had people on my platform who are atheists who said, this is really practical. And 
I think that's that's important. Sometimes we can be so spiritual that we're no earthly good. And <laughs> True. I don't believe in that junk. I need us to come down here so people can understand what's going on. And so I so I try to make sure that everything that we offer is practical. So people feel like, you know what? Yeah, I get that. I can relate to that. But they can also see like, okay, but there's still, she's still tying it back to God because God is in everything. So I think that's, that's the approach I use. And I also want people to know when I'm I'm writing my blog or doing a podcast that your girl Jocelyn does not have it all together. I always (laughs) tell people that, you know, this is just a sister who's trying to help people along her way and hopefully, hopefully you can benefit from it. And I say that to say, I try my best to make sure that people understand that this is a safe space. You're not being judged because when it comes to this healing work, that's one of the main reasons why I think people don't come forward is because they're afraid of being judged and they feel like they're alone. And I want people to feel free to say, look, it is okay. Because at the end of the day, when we all remove our mask, we all got some stuff in the closet and we all jacked up. But <laughs> like at the end of the day, God can still use us, right? And so that's my approach. Since you mentioned the mask, that's an interesting metaphor for being the false self, right? Not being ourselves, not honoring ourselves, the true selves. Um do you think it's possible to live without the mask at all times? <laughs> or sometimes we are forced to use to play roles and use the mask or well, some kind of mask? Right. I do think that at some point, because of just how we are as a society, we're we're going to feel like we're going to have to wear a mask sometime. I honestly, I'm not telling people to go out in the middle of the street into all day little business. Um, that's not wise. Um, but what I do try to say in the book is that we do have to find safe spaces. So everyone is not at a place where they can respect the sacredness of our story. And so I have learned that over the years because there were times where I was transparent with people who weren't at a place where they were ready to honor my story and they shared it and it was damaging. So I do encourage people to use wisdom and to seek God for clarity on who are the people in their lives who they can really be their their authentic selves in front of. And so in the book, I direct people to uh, start with immediate family. If you are married to your spouse and there's a, a secret from 20 years ago from your childhood that you have not told, maybe that's a safe space to, to start. Because when we when we hold back secrets, when we, we're doing two things, right? We're trying to protect ourselves, but we're also preventing people from being able to come in and truly love us fully. And so we want to be at a place where we can create intimate spaces with the people who we love and allow them to love us completely with everything, including the stuff from our past. Because then when we let down our guard and share those secrets with someone um, who is who's in our intimate circle and we see that they love us still in that, oh, how we truly feel that love versus if we are forever holding a secret, we're going to always have in the back of my mind or our minds that if you really knew who I am, you wouldn't love me and we're going to have a guard up. And so that's why I encourage people to use discernment and find safe spaces for them to remove their mask where someone will truly honor the sacredness of their story and then get the support they need, whether it's through a counselor or a pastor, so that they can kind of work forward from there. 
I I really like that word, yeah, safe space, being as a human being, being that safe place for others. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So your work also addresses grief. Is this part of your um, the ministry as well, the faith on the journey? Or it's a separate course, it's a separate program for those who need help? Yes. So um, Faith on the Journey does address grief issues. So in a couple of ways, you can find some resources. One is I, the Faith on the Journey partnered with the Trauma Healing Institute, and that is a global organization where they combine mental health best practices with biblical teachings to address trauma. And one of the the sections that we focus on in this curriculum is the issue of grief. And so we we organize healing groups where we facilitate Bible studies for people to help them to work through their past pain in areas that have caused them to feel stuck. And we target the faith community because many churches, they they have not they might not have the the capacity to to deal with certain issues. Grief is one of them, but there's a number of other issues of trauma that sometimes faith institutions that they might not have experienced training or anything on that subject. And so we we offer this in churches, but we're also going to offer this to people on an individual level who would like to sign up. So we we address it from that standpoint, and then in my book, and then also in my online course, which I'll talk a little bit about later, I dive deep into the subject of grief and loss, and that is very timely considering what is happening in our world with the coronavirus. Because one thing when I first started studying on the issue of grief and loss, I, I, I didn't realize how little I knew until then because I always equated it with just losing someone in terms of someone passing away. But grief and loss is so much more than that. We grieve the loss of anything that we value, whether it's grieving someone who passed or grieving the loss of a dream that we had. Right. Uh, we're grieving the loss of having church fellowship because we're in, in quarantine. We're grieving the loss of businesses that have had to close because of the coronavirus. We're grieving the loss of being able to go to school and people uh, having their graduations canceled and the, grieving the loss of never being able to have a senior prom. I mean, we're grieving the loss of sharing a hug with a friend or, I mean, there's been many instances where people have grieved the loss of a, a, a marriage through divorce or grieved the loss of not being able to have a, a biological child due to infertility. And that seemed like a slow death to them because of how painful that experience was. So I think it's important for people to to understand that when we experience loss of any kind, we do go through the process of grieving. And it's it's important to allow ourselves that space to grieve in whatever way that looks like for us. People grieve in different ways. You know, some people, they're more expressive uh, about their grief, uh, known as intuitive pattern of grief, where we show our emotions. And a lot of times people like to say, oh, that's how women grieve. But that is definitely not the case. We have to get past these gender stereotypes. But then there's more of a what they call instrumental grieving, where people are more inward and quiet about their grief. They might be the type who likes to go to work if someone passed away and there's a funeral. They're the ones who are busy bees getting everything done and making things happen, right? And that's might, might be how they grieve. And we have to be okay with that. But I think at the end of the day, for some people, especially who are losing so much at this time, I mean, we're not just 
losing one thing, but many people are dealing with layers of grief because of what's happened with this global pandemic. Some people are at a place where they're on survival mode and damage control mode, and they're just trying to just handle what is thrown in front of them. But at the end of the day, I think it's important for people to understand that at some moment in time, they're going to need to provide or find the space to grieve what has been lost. Because it, it, it's okay to say, I'm not okay. And that's the thing. There's, there's always been uh, an issue, especially I'm an African-American woman. And there's always been this, um, this belief in my culture that you have to be this strong Black woman and have to have it all together. And, you know, we even hear that, the stigma with, with men, like real men don't cry and, you know, get it together. And, and all the, this this does is compound this feeling of uh, the mask, like that I have to wear this mask and I, I can't really show how I'm feeling. But at the end of the day, that's going to come out in some type of way. You know, we think about it like you're just building up pressure at, and at some point it's going to pop. And when when you suppress your emotions, what ends up happening is it comes out in a way that you have no control over and most likely you will not like it. And so we have to, again, while we understand what's happening in this world, just make sure that we check on people, especially when they've experienced some type of loss that you're aware of. And even if they haven't, everyone's experiencing a loss right now because we're losing something. Even if it's the, the autonomy of, of being able to go to the grocery store or do whatever, um, this isolation is hurting people right now. So we we just have to figure out how we can support people, be present for people. And when someone is grieving, I'll, I'll say two last things. We have to understand the power of presence, the ministry of presence. You don't have to have the right words to say. And that was a big hangup for me for the longest time because when I was around someone who experienced a loss, I would try to figure out the right words to say. And I would either say some Christian cliche that was totally <laughs> off base. I would sound real stupid. And either way, I was like, you know what? Mm. So like I learned that the art of just being present and saying, you know, how can I be here for you right now? You know, I love you, you know, and just and just being still and allowing that person to just cry in your presence can do more than you know. So that that is 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 one thing that I want people to to understand. And then um, my second point just escaped me that quickly. But at the end of the day, I do I do know that there's a lot of grief taking place right now, and we we just need each other in this moment. Wow. Mm. And staying with the subject of grief, talk to me about letting go and surrender, acceptance. Those are powerful states of mind of being, really. Oh, yes. Thank you. And you remind me what I was going to say, at least until <laughs> that. I think um, there's this understanding or this there's this belief that people need to move on when they've experienced a loss. And I think one way that I heard it, a woman did a TED Talk. Her name is Nora. Her last name ex escapes me, but she said something that was so powerful. She said, we don't move on. We don't move on from a major loss we move forward. And there's a difference because we, we do have to, at some point, come to the place of acceptance, like you said. But just because you might have lost a spouse or you lost a child, it's, it's really not fair to think that someone's just going to move on from that. That will ever be someone that they miss, um, that they love, that they're, they're going to feel that, right? But um, is, is helping them to 
get to a place where they're not stuck in their pain, where they can't move forward. You know, and so we we have to understand that that's going to always be a part of that person's life. And just like even right now with this pandemic and the loss that's being experienced, we're not going to have we're not going to go back to the old normal. We have to understand there's going to be a new normal. And so we have to go through the process of grieving the loss of the old normal and then accepting, okay, this is this is the new normal. But I acknowledge that I'm human and I still miss what has been lost. And so it's definitely a process and people, you know, there's like the five stages of grief that they talk about, you know, where it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. That's, I get that. But, and that's, that's real, but people can skip from anger to depression to acceptance and go right back to anger and then bargaining. And so it's not a linear process, but at the end of the day, this is when, if you are at a place where you are dealing with depression and just the loss seems overwhelming, I just encourage you to reach out, but hopefully you have people around you who will reach out towards you. And, and that's, again, I just can't reiterate that enough, Valerie, that in this time, we have to reach out to people as much as possible because when someone is dealing with depression, it's very unlikely that they're going to reach out for help. They're just barely holding on by thread, let alone picking up the phone. So when someone's grieving, um, they, they get a lot of calls within that first month. And then after that, people then forgot about them and moved on to their own stuff. And so reaching out to people six months later, a month later, just saying, hey, just thinking about you. You don't have to bring up the subject, but just letting them know that you care can make all the difference in the world. Mm, wow. Yeah, I I love that, the idea of not moving on, but moving forward, right? That's really what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so my last question, I know you have a new online course coming up. Talk to me about that. Yes, I'm really excited about it. So it's called Unstuck. And (laughs) hopefully by the title, you can understand what that's exactly about because many of us have just, we feel stuck. We, if we're honest, we're like, man, this happened 10 (laughs) years ago. Why am I still mad? Or, you know, it might be something where someone did something to us and they passed away and we're still holding on to that grudge. Or it was something that happened to us and we still feel shame about it. We we, we feel like we can't forgive ourselves over it or we're, we're still stuck in this grief. And I, I wanted to create a course for people who feel unstuck to say, you don't have to stay there. I know it's hard. I've been there, but you can get unstuck. And let let me show you some practical steps that you can take and some biblical principles that will help move you along your way. And so just launched this course, so excited about it. And I'll have a free gift for your listeners available on my website um, where they can check that out, check out what we're doing through the course. And the, the website is theunstuckseries.com. Again, that's theunstuckseries.com. Wonderful. Would you like to add anything else or even read a passage in your book, Jocelyn, before I ask you my final questions? You know, I all I just would like to say is that, you know, there's going to be moments in your life where you mess up. There's life where they're very difficult. Uh, But if we could just understand that those moments don't have to define us, and it's only if we allow it to that 
that will cause it to, right? So we we have to understand that our identity is in Christ. God calls us chosen. He calls us his um, beloved. We are his adopted children. And so we just have to know who we belong to and understand that our identity is not rooted in what we do or what people say about us, but only God has the right to define us. So my final question is, um, how do you define success? What is to be successful? Oh, that's a great question. I would say success is you living your life, using your gifts fully to to help others and to, for me, this is from my spiritual lens, and to to build up the kingdom of God. So that that's how I define success. I believe that people want to live their life poured out. So when they come up out of here and this, the, their time on earth is over, that they, they've left it all on the court. And I say all on the court because uh, after Kobe Bryant's death, I was like, Kobe Bryant left his, he left it on the court, right? <laughs> right? Yes. Like he oh, never, yeah. he never left anything out there after a game. And I think that's kind of how we have to go about life is leaving it all on the court, doing the best we can so that when we're looking back, um, hopefully I'm in a rocking chair, <laughs> like <laughs> at 80, 90 years old, looking back on my life. I don't have regrets like that. You know, I'm, I'm looking back saying, you know, I did it. And I don't care how old anybody is right now who's listening to this. You might be 60, 70, 80 years old. It's not too late for you to do what you believe God has called you to do. You can get up right now after this podcast and make some things happen. So I just encourage people to just live life to the fullest and leave it all on the court. Wow. Wonderful message. Oh, you have been actually delivering wisdom and powerful messages. So I guess let me choose some of these questions here. Um, I think I'm not going to ask you this one. Uh, do you believe in unconditional self-love? Unconditional self-love. Oh, yeah. wow. I hadn't even, I haven't heard of that before, <laughs> but I, I guess I would. I mean, I, I think, but see this, I, before I can answer that question, I think we need to define what love is because I think people have a misconception of what love looks like. So if I love you, that does not mean that I don't challenge you. It does not mean that if you're wrong, I don't hold you accountable. Like, and, and that's where I think Christians might have a misunderstanding because sometimes we're like, oh, we we love everybody, but that person was wrong, right? Like they they had, you know they they were hurtful, they were abusive, and for me to love them, I need to be able to tell them that their behavior is not right and do so in a way that's love. So at the same same token, to answer your question, I believe that yes, unconditional love in the sense of I'm going to love myself, understanding my imperfections, always trying to be better. Um, but giving myself the grace that I believe God extends me is also a, a part of self-love. And by that, I mean, sometimes we can have this, this expectation of ourselves that we need to be at this certain level. We need to do this by age 40. We need to have, you know, two cars and a picket fence and all this other stuff like crazy. So we have all this, these expectations. And then when we don't meet it, then we like all of a sudden feel like we're a failure and we kind of beat ourselves up over it. And that's something that, again, I believe our society has has really played into. And so we have to understand in order for us to really love ourselves, we have to understand where our value comes from. And it's not defined by all these materialistic things. You know, that stuff can come and go, you know, but at the end of the day, that doesn't say who I am. If I'm sitting here 
butt naked, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing to my name. I'm still Jocelyn Jones. And so I need to be able to love myself through my kinky hair, my bad hair days through the coronavirus, which we've had quite a few. You <laughs> Tell know, me like, about it. Oh my God. It's rough, you know, but like love <laughs> myself in all of these areas of my life where I might not see myself as being beautiful and be like, no, I'm God's chosen. I'm God's child. I'm like, so Yes, I am love. And yeah, I might want to try to get it together in this area. But at the end of the day, that's not where my value comes from. And so learning that people can love themselves unconditionally in that respect, all for it. They just need to understand really what love is about. What is another word for healing, Jocelyn? Ooh, I've never had that asked before. That's a really good question. Another word for healing, um, I would say wholeness. Um, I would say uh, being made whole. I know that's not a word, but um, redeemed maybe would be another word. Um, I think when it comes to the process of healing, it's it's mending a, a wound and it's understanding that, it's acknowledging that a wound actually took place. Going back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of people like to ignore wounds you know, the, that, that person in your life who never likes to go to the doctor or they, they obviously have a knee that's out of socket and they like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. It's like, no food. You're not good. You got your knees out of socket. Right. And so, um, people are the same way where they don't like to acknowledge the wound. And so I think if we get people to a place where they acknowledge the wound, then the healing takes place or the wound wound is mended when um, we can at least start the process of mending the wound. So that's another way that I would describe healing. I like that. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? The only thing I would say I would do differently is be more intentional by, about spending time with family. That's an area that I, I struggle with because I'm very passionate about this work and I'm at a space right now where my ministry is really starting to grow and it can be consuming. But at the end of the day, you know, we only have certain people in our lives for a, a certain period of time, however long that is. Even if it's 10 more years, it, 10 more years, it can be only if we only visit our parents twice a year, that means in 10 more years, I only have 20 more visits with our, my parents. Right. And yeah, so yeah. like it's, it's all you have to keep it in perspective. And so I think for me, I really do, especially seeing this pandemic, I'm like, I need to spend more time with my, my family. People are dropping. This is like a reminder of something we already know that life is not promised. And so that's the one thing I would change. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I know for sure that I I can't, I'm not in control. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it before, it didn't work. Good luck with that if you're trying. <laughs> like, but um, you you can't control people. You can't control the circumstances sometimes that com- are com- are placed in front of you. Certain things you can control, of course, but like in the big scheme of things, there will be things in life that happen that you have no control over. But it's how you respond to that. Uh, so I've I've learned that. I've learned that that I know for sure that life is short. God willing, I have another 50, 60 years here on earth. But even that in the big scheme of things is still very short. So I know that I have to recognize that every day is a blessing. And I also know for sure that 
the the things that I have right now is not of my own doing. It's, it's God. My ministry, the, my book, even though I did work and I was an active participant in the process, if God did not position me and open those, the doors that God put in front of me, I would not be where I am today. So and even in this interview right now, God gets the glory. And that's what I know. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your presence. And my final, final question, I know you mentioned the website for the course earlier, but you have another one. So please, I uh, would like you to mention it now. Where can we find more information about you, your products, books, services, and future projects? Sure. There's two places you can check. Uh, my ministry website is faithonthejourney.org. Again, that's faithonthejourney.org. Make sure you type in org because there is a, another .com out there. So faithonthejourney.org. And then you can also follow me on my website. You can subscribe for updates at jocelynjjones.com. And my name is spelled J-O-C-E-L-Y-N jjones.com. And I would love to hear from you. If this interview blessed you, please reach out. And again, I'll have a special gift waiting for you uh, if you uh, check out my website, which there'll be a link on both of those websites to take you to where you can find the course information. So hope you check it out. <laughs> yeah, really great. Thank you so much again, Jaslyn, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jocelyn Jones, please visit her website, theunstuckseries.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.